Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. We're doing a series in numbers. I don't know if you've been in church for a little while, you may not have heard that very often. It's, uh, it's a bit of a neglected book, but we're going to dig in over the next uh, little while. Uh, one of the things that might help uh, you is that during the week there's some emails that go out Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings uh, tied into the series that we're doing on Sundays. You can sign up to that on the hub part of our website. Uh, most of our groups uh, that meet during the week are following along, and if you're not part of one, uh, but this is helpful to you, there's about half a dozen of these uh, booklets up the back that, again, might help you get your head around the book of Numbers. I'm going to pray. We're going to ask for God's help and that he would speak to us. Uh, why don't you bow your heads as we pray to our God. Oh, Lord God, we thank you this day to uh, remember uh, the many gifts that you give us and for the gift of mothers. We, uh, we thank you for all that they uh, do for us. And we pray today as we come uh, to this part of your Bible that might seem foreign to us, that you might speak to our hearts, that we might know how much you've loved us and that it might help us to be more loving people. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Mother's Day and we should honour our mothers and the lengths that they go to for us. Your mum personally dealt with a significant amount of your bodily waste. If you've got a little baby, you might be here with kind of uh, some vomit on you this afternoon, and all of this is not adequately highlighted on the new baby brochure. There may be a reason why it's kind of left out, but this is the deal. There's bodily waste. Uh, If you've uh, experienced children in nappies, um, there's times that there's a little kinder surprise in that nappy, and it needs the full hazmat treatment and they kind of get thrown out. Uh, what happens in our household is, um, is the nappies kind of, we open the door and we throw because the bin's too far around the side and you can't leave the children. And anyway, they're thrown outside to be dealt with at a later period of time. The craziest bit is um, we let these little people, these little filth production units, live with us. It's kind of crazy. You know, the pets, they get pushed outside to do their business, but these... Little babies, we have them in our homes. We love them. We clean up their mess. Even as an adult, there's been times that my mum's still been cleaning up my mess. A few years ago, she said, you've RSVP'd to that wedding of, you know, her best friend's daughter. I'm like, ah, maybe not. So thanks, mum, for still cleaning up my mess, even as an adult. This is what they do. Our mums put up with a lot of our mess so that we can live with them and so that they can live with us. And the question today that we're going to think about is, what lengths will God go to so that you can live with God and God can live with you? And friends, it is a privilege, actually, to have God's presence in your life. It is a privilege to have God in your life. Now, we've uh, started last week a series in the book of Numbers Uh, We kind of catch up with the ancient people of Israel uh, in the desert. They've been at Mount Sinai for about 14 months and they're about to embark on an 11-day journey to the promised land. God's promised that he's going to live with them and dwell with them. He's he's, uh, commissioned the building of a special tent of meeting, sometimes called the tabernacle, and it's right at the centre of the camp. And that's where God dwells. He lives there. God's, God's set it up. Uh, so that he is there at the centre of their lives. Uh, He wants to be with them. 
And uh, we read in Numbers chapter 9, in fact, why don't you uh, just turn over to that. God's not just rescued them from uh, slavery in Egypt and then kind of, you know, he goes back to rescue HQ. He wants to go with his people through the wilderness. And so there's this beautiful bit, uh, chapter 9, verse 15, uh, where we're told how it is that God is going to kind of manifest and show that he's with his people. So Numbers 9, verse 15. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered the tabernacle by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. Right? That was the signal, right? They, they, they were camping in the desert. That was the signal to go and to, and to set down again. That this cloud in the day and this fire at night was God guiding them. But friends, it's more than that. It's the fact that God was going with them. That's what's going on with the cloud and the fire. God is with them. He wants to be with them in the wilderness because it's going to be tough. And in the wilderness, it's easy to look for hope elsewhere than God. But God's like a father who wants his children to, to look to him. Dad, can you help me when we're in trouble? God's like a mother who races to hold her child, you know, the child's hand when they're walking on uneven ground. And friends, the point is, God wants to walk with us through the wilderness. He's not sending them out on their own for a kind of ultimate Sinai survivor in the desert. He's going with them to love them and look after them, to guide them and provide them, to lead them home. And if you're a Christian, actually even if you're not a Christian, God wants to walk with you through the wilderness of this life. That's a view of God that you don't get in other religions. God's not a force, but a father. God that's not kind of distant out there, but intimate. And life this side of eternity is this wilderness adventure and there are going to be battles and there are going to be testing and there are going to be temptations. And here's God saying, you don't have to fight your battles alone. You don't have to bear your burdens alone. I want to go with you. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to lead you home. You know, in the Old Testament, we're told that God dwelt in the camp. When you get to the New Testament, we read... Uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, if you can put this verse up, Ed, in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, right? In the Old Testament, God dwelled in the camp. In the New Testament, God dwells in our hearts, in our very selves. We have God's presence in us if we're Christians. But God's presence creates a purity problem. God's presence creates a purity problem, or rather, Israel's mess creates a purity problem. I uh, came across this uh, graph uh, the other week, uh, if you can put this up. This is uh, friendship and cleanliness. Okay, so on the, uh, on the horizontal axis, we've got friendship level from potential friend to best friend. Uh, up the side, we've got cleanliness level. So let's start with a potential friend, right? Uh, this person saying, First time in my house, it's going to be sparkling clean, fresh flowers, strategically placed books that make me seem interesting. Maybe it's just kind of a newish friend. 
Well, the house is going to be mostly clean, swept but not mopped, a few dishes in the sink, clean, clean counters. Uh, maybe it's a good friend. Quick, frantic, pick-up session, get rid of anything that smells. The best friend, watch out for the pack, cat puke, here's a glass of wine. Um, actually, I think, I think that could have... Uh, that's, all of that is one of the problems of why sometimes we don't have people in our homes as much as we should because we're kind of worried about keeping up the front. But that's not the point. Here's the point. What if the God of the universe is coming to your place permanently? There's a purity problem, isn't there? It's not ultimately God's problem. It's your problem and my problem. And it's like when, you know, my mum's coming over, suddenly I could have noticed that actually it is quite dusty in the house and I haven't done that for a little while. Um, it's just that that kind of reminded me, you know, it's not... Did, didn't create the problem, just reminded me, exposed, that actually the house wasn't clean. Um, And in this next block of numbers, there's all these laws about purity and then about how this tent, this tabernacle, where where kind of the people can meet with Moses and Moses can meet with God and how all that's going to work. And the point of it is, God wants to live with Israel, but they can't leave their mess around anymore. And to be honest, they can't get too close. And so uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a kind of cultural experience, right? Uh, um, Three brief examples of kind of what this purity looked like for the ancient people of Israel. And it's interesting, I was having lunch with uh, some of the guys in our city group on Thursday and we are just talking about the fact that um, you don't realise that you have an accent sometimes until you travel overseas. And then you realise that actually Australians sound a little bit nasal and stuff like that. This is like a cultural experience, these chapters, that I think have something to teach us that we might not at first be aware of. So, three quick examples. Numbers chapter 5. I'm on page 112 if you've got one of these Bibles. Okay, example number one. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You You shall put out both male and female putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp, in the midst of which I dwell. Okay, if you've got a whole nation on a camping trip, which is what's going on, anyone who's got an infectious disease or who's had contact with a corpse needs to be put to the fringe of the camp, right? Um, And Leviticus 13 tells us that that had to happen until one of the priests had declared them clean and then they were allowed back in. Now, this is ancient hygiene, um, but actually there's a deeper reason than just hygiene. Did you notice it at the end of verse 3? It's because the Lord, God's name, um, who is pure and perfect, why? I dwell in their camp. I dwell in their midst. And if the Lord who's pure dwells in your house, you need to clean up. Israel had to be pure. Uh, There's a second example, next verse, uh, Numbers um, chapter 5, verse 5. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realises his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he's committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it, and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. But if the man has no next of kin to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for wrong shall go to the Lord 
for the priest in addition to the ram of atonement with which atonement is made for him. Now, uh, these are passages I'm reading, I'm like, what was going on there? Okay, here's what's going on. It's talking about when things go wrong in relationships. And it's saying that even private sin, um, even private sin can't be overlooked. Okay, so the situation is um, an Israelite has hurt another person, but they don't realise it at first, right? Um, It takes them a while to kind of realise that actually what I said was really hurtful. Um, The way I treated them, that was terrible how I spoke to that person. Now, but the other person doesn't kind of know that you've had this realisation, so it's kind of in private to this point. Do you just let it go? Um, I mean, no one will know. Why don't we all just move on? But, you know, it's interesting. Verse 6 assumes our sin against others is always a breaking faith with God. Do you notice that? Um, and the same, this very, the same word is used when King David confesses to, to he's committed murder and he's con- committed adultery but when he confesses to God in the words of Psalm 51, he says, Lord God, against you only have I sinned. Now, of course, King David has, has committed murder. He's hurt all sorts of people. But there's something about our sin, even against others, that is ultimately a defiance against God, the God who told us to love our neighbour and all the rest. And so this is saying, even when it is private, you know what? You need to fess up. You need to make restitution And it says, actually, if it's a kind of economic, numerical thing, add 20% to that person that you've wronged. And then also offer a sacrifice through the priest. Right? So even a private sin, um, it's costly, it's deadly for the animal, and it's contagious. It's got to be dealt with. Israel's got this purity problem because God dwells with them. Okay, third example. Uh, Numbers chapter 8, verse 5. So flick over a couple of pages. Numbers chapter 8, verse 5. And we've moved on a little bit to how this tent of meeting or tabernacle is going to work. Um, because not anyone could kind of, you know, stroll up to the tent and say, I'd just like to have a chat with God today. They had to go through the priests, the, the tribe of Levi, the Levites. So uh, I'm going to read a few verses from Numbers 8, verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the people of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle the water of purification upon them and let them go with a razor over all their body and wash their clothes and cleanse themselves. And then uh, jump down to verse 12. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls and you shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall set the Levites before Aaron and his sons and shall offer them as a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the people of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. Now, God wants to live with Israel. But average Joe wasn't allowed to get close. They they had to go through a mediator, an intermediary, a priest. But this is saying even the priests, the pure ones, had to be purified. Right? They were the one tribe allowed near the tent of meeting to mediate, but what has to happen? They've got to be scrubbed, they've got to be shaved, they've got to have sacrifices offered before they can even act as intermediaries. Now, there's three quick examples, right? But here's the point. God's presence 
demanded Israel's purity. Because on their own, they were unclean. Now friends, uh, Christian people read these and we, we realise that many of these laws as they stand are obsolete. Um, there aren't animal sacrifices, there's no tabernacle or temple. Um, things have changed now that Jesus has come. But Jesus agrees with the basic premise. On our own, we are not fit for the presence of God. Now, a lot of modern people might say, well, that's just how ancient people thought and we've kind of moved on from those you know, absolute, moral absolutes and those wrathful kind of deities and sacrifices and things. And today, uh, look, nobody knows what's right and wrong for certain. Nobody knows about God for certain. And so what we have to do is just decide for ourselves what's right and wrong and not be held to anyone else's standards. And that's kind of what we'd say often in our society. Um, you know, if there is a God, um, whatever God is out there, just we do not believe that that God is transcendently holy and pure and perfect and righteous in a way that we are too, too unclean. We want to say we're all good people deep down. So why is it that we spend our lives trying to clean ourselves up? Trying to escape the sense that we are unclean. No, Israel did it. They did it. Uh, Numbers chapter 16, there's a kind of rebellion against Moses and some of the other leaders. And the argument is, hey, you know what? We don't need the priests because we're all holy. We're, we, we can all go straight to God, is what they wanted to say. But for us today, in our lives, um, some of us won't go out of the house in our natural state. No, the trachydax, that, that's indoor attire. Um, some of us won't go out of the house without... Makeup, and at least one of them's called a concealer because it feels like we got something to cover up. Now, our, one of the ways our society offers us to kind of get clean and feel okay about ourselves is, is be pretty, get thin, have flawless skin, be like the celebrities. You know, there was an editor of one of the young women's magazines in New York, and she wrote these words I want to read. She said, um, after years in this industry, with, with a stream of perfectly airbrushed, implanted liposuction stars, you would have to be a powerhouse of self-esteem not to feel totally inferior. So, you know, here's a way to feel great about yourself that ends up with you feeling terrible about yourself. Or maybe it's your career. Why do we work so hard? You know, if I just get to this level, you know, then, then I'll relax. Then I'll kind of, you know, take the gear down. Then I'll spend more time with my family. Then I'll but we hardly ever do because we're just relentlessly trying to prove something. You know, some of us uh, say to ourselves, you know, look, I, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, I'm, I'm just going to try hard about being a really good mum or dad. I'll kind of live through my children, which could never go wrong, right? Um, I realised this week that there's times that I've yelled at my own children, but I think to this point... I've never kind of lost it in public. I've managed to keep it in. And why is that? It's because there's some part of me that's angry, but there's some part of me that doesn't want 
that part of me to be seen. It's not for public consumption. It's, it's, I know I'm not meant to be like that and I don't want people to know. I want, it, I want to cover it up. I was watching a TV show called The Blacklist and uh, there's uh, one crooked cop is talking to another crooked cop trying to get some information out of uh, this, this uh, police officer and, uh, and he says to her, he says, you know, that secret that you're worried about, you know, that, that thing that you've done where you kind of blurred the lines and you know that, you know, that if anyone finds out, they'll have this power over you. You know that secret? Maybe you know, do you know that secret, that, that, that thing that you just would hate to be made public? Well, in the TV show, he says, you know, that secret is always going to control you. And then fascinatingly, he says, until you atone for it yourself. You use that word atone, so interesting. Now, atoning for our own sins, that's what religion is about. That's what religion's about. Do enough good to cover up the bad. Right? If I avoid the dirty movies, if I turn up to church, if I read my Bible, if I pray more, if I try really hard to be good, then hopefully, maybe God will overlook the stain on my record because I've kind of covered it up with my good deeds. They're all ways that we're trying to clean ourselves up and cover up the stain that we feel. Because somehow we know we are not fit for God's presence on our own. And the problem is, none of that stuff works. It's never enough, and it never goes deep enough. In the time of the prophet Jeremiah, God lamented where Israel had got to, trying to kind of solve their own problems and atone for themselves. And we read this verse in Jeremiah 2 on the screen. Jeremiah 2, God says, Though you wash yourself and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. (laughs) You're trying real hard to clean up your own life, but you know what? That's nothing compared to the real problem, and I still see the stain and the guilt, God says. So here's the problem. God wants to live with us, but we've got this purity problem that you and I can never overcome. That's keeping us from God's presence. And the only answer to this purity problem that's keeping us from God's presence, the only answer is God's presence. Coming into our lives to clean us up in a way that we could never do ourselves. You know, the the problem that those purity laws exposed for Israel was never really solved until Jesus came. For 1,500 years, touching a leper would have made you unclean. But do you remember what happens in the gospel stories? What happens when when Jesus touches... Everyone's saying, don't go near them. But Jesus touches the leper. And what happens? The leper is made clean. Because that's what Jesus can do in your life and mine. And friends, we started by talking about the lengths God will go to. Well, here are the lengths God will go to. Jesus is born in a dirty manger and he dies on a bloody cross so that we can be live with God. When Jesus died, Hebrews 13 tells us, Jesus was cast outside the camp so that you and I can be brought into God's presence. On the cross, Jesus is tarred with our spiritual filth 
so that we are clothed with his perfect righteousness. And the transformation that God does in that moment that we could never achieve but God gives is so complete that the book of Hebrews celebrates it in these words. Hebrews 10 on the screen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places... Now, what's the holy place talking about? It's that part of the tabernacle or temple, no one else is allowed to go, right? We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you notice some of those words that leap out? Cleansed, washed, pure. Confidence, assurance, because it doesn't depend on us but Jesus. Religion says, I need to clean myself up before I come to God. The gospel of Jesus says, Jesus got dirty to make you clean once and for all. And friends, um, you will not find this anywhere else but Jesus. And that's why our church, why we partner with Susanna and Josh and why we give away 10% of all that's given to see this news of Jesus go out to the world. It's why our church increased our budget this year by $40,000 to train some of the next generation because this news of a God who loves you enough to get involved in your mess and dirt and take it on so that you are clean and pure before God, you don't find this anywhere else and we want to get the news out. And so friends, as we finish up, we all need to know the lengths that God has gone to so that you can live with him. Now, if you are um, a mum in that stage of life, um, this encourages you to press on, even on the days you literally have to get your hands dirty with bodily waste. Because God got involved in your mess. This reminds us, um, perhaps today is a day of grief or trouble for you. This reminds us that you are never alone because God is living in your heart by his Holy Spirit. This urges us to put, what are we going to put out of our lives? Sin. Out of our lives. Why? Because Jesus was put outside the camp for our sin. And this assures us on the days that we might still feel dirty, soiled, stained, that actually Jesus has washed us clean once and for all. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St. Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.